If you've got a Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians 12 as we continue um, what is the middle portion of casting a vision for the new year, um, casting a vision for 2020. Um, we're doing it now because if we wait until 2020, start talking about 2020, it will be too late um, because it will already be 2020, right? Um, so we're starting early, and these are going to be themes and talking points that we'll circle back around to throughout the next year. Um, and at the core of our vision of this new year, um, it isn't really anything particularly new. Um, we've actually been building toward this all year long. And, and as we retrace some of the steps and re- replay some of the talks from this past year, um, as we reflect on all the revelation that God has shared with us, we believe this is the natural next step for us to take. So, and we don't stop at just inspiration. We follow through and we look for some sort of application. And the next big step for us to take, I feel like God is really emphasizing over us, centers around this word for. This idea that God is for us and that we have a mission field that we should be for and we have a job to do that centers around this idea of being for. Now, I want to read from God's word first before we get into the message um, anymore. Um, And it'll really set the tone for our message today. We'll come back around to it at the end of our time and we'll talk a little bit um, about what God is saying in, in this text. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 12 through 20, is a very familiar text that every Christian, every church member should be familiar with, well-versed in. And I think today we'll uh, put this in an even greater light for us. So 1 Corinthians 12, For as the body is one and has many members, or parts, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, as so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one or from one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Many parts make up the body. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is, is, there, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Of course, a body part can't dismiss itself from the greater body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they are all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members or many parts, yet one body. Again, we've talked about our purpose and our placement as a church. We've learned a lot from God's Word this year. And I think to kind of summarize all that we've learned so far and all that we're going to talk about going forward is this idea that God is for not against, in that the Bible tells a story of a God who is for things, a God who is for us, a God who is for the church, a God who is for the world even. And, and we, know, we know that God is for us because he sent Jesus to die for us, right? I mean, case closed. We know that God is for the church because it's his chosen means of dwelling with and speaking to his people. We know that God is for the world because he sent us into the world and placed the church in the world to be a light, to be a preservative, and to be a sanctuary, a place of refuge and rest for everybody. So if God's chosen method of communication to us is on a for us basis, 
If God is for us, and you don't need to look far in the Bible to find plenty of promises that remind us that He is for us, if that is what we know from the Word, then it's, no, it's not a secret, it's not a, a small thing to say this should be what drives us as a people, as a community. Now, I want to show you, just to prove it and just make sure everybody's on the same page, I want to show you a few Bible verses, a few promise verses that emphasize that God is for, not against, um, and when we get to the words in yellow, I want you to say them out loud with me. Um, these are verses that you are familiar with, but I think they'll set the tone for us and really continue to press home this idea of being for. Romans 5, verse number 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Pretty clear, right? And that's awesome, right? He is for us, though, so he did something for us. Romans chapter 8, verse number 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 34. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I mean, any questions, right? It's clear that God is for, not against. Now, does that mean that God always agrees or always approves? Not necessarily. It means His love for us. It means that His love for us is greater than any disdain or any disappointment He could ever have against us. That's how great God's for us mentality is. And it's hard for us to comprehend it, isn't it? It's hard for us to accept that sometimes. But that's true. Now, listen, part, uh, parent, if you wonder, if you're a parent and you wonder why you so quickly relent to your kids when they've broken the rules... If you're a parent and you wonder why you so often back off, right, whenever your kids have broken the rules or upset you or hurt you, but you so quickly come around, it's because there's a thumbprint of God in you that no matter what disappoints you or disdains you about your children, your love for them is greater, and it always will be. God's method of winning us and saving us is to do something for us. And I'm telling you, if you don't define your relationship with God from this place, you're missing peace, you're leaving joy on the table. Because you never have to question where you stand with someone who is willing to give up everything for you. You never have to. Giving up their life even. Listen, I have to admit, I struggle. I struggle staying at this place of God is for me no matter what. I live in such a performance world. I think it's all about what I do, and, and I, I'm so critical of myself if I don't hit a certain mark because I feel like that I'm disappointing God. I drift to a God, here's what I've done for you, place so easily. And believe me, there is only misery and stress and frustration there. Don't drink from that well, and it will poison you, and it will poison anybody that shares the cup with you. Listen, God isn't pleased with me because I do this or I do that. It's better than that. He's pleased with me because He is for me, because Jesus died for me. He isn't for us because of what we do for Him. It's way better than that. He is for us before we ever do anything for Him. 
That's not dismissing the importance of and the joy found in living for God, but anyone who lives for God trying to earn his favor never feels important, never feels joy. When you realize that he's for you, when you realize that he's for us out of his own loving kindness, that spurs us to want to live for him, and that makes you feel important and brings you joy. And here's why I bring this up. God wants you to rest in his favor, in his for, not against nature. And before some religious curmudgeon comes in and says, you know, Justin, if you do this, if you talk about this, if this is your attitude, you're going to tip the scales to being about people and not about God. Let me say this. There's no secret in who we are. We worship Jesus. We don't worship me or anybody else. We don't worship you all. I love you, but we don't worship you. We worship Jesus, right? We worship him because he's king whether we are blessed or not. Nothing's ever going to change that. But here's the thing. If anybody worries about this tipping the scales, Jesus who is God, he taught that if you want to be God-focused, you should be people-focused because it's the same, it's two sides of the same coin. Because loving, engaging, and reaching people pleases God who loves and is for. I mean, the gospel is that God was so for the world that he did something for the world, right? He gave up his son to die for the world. I mean, I'm not making this up, right? And listen, we don't worship God because He's for us. We worship God because He's God. But I'm not about to say, okay, God, listen, you're a little bit too for me. I'll just take hell, right? I'm not about to do that. I mean, hey, He is good. He is loving. He is kind and incredible, right? Come on, people say, well, back in the old days, they really told people what they needed to hear. Back in what days? Because the Bible, from cover to cover, tells me about a God who is for, not against. Exodus 14, God says, I'm going to fight for you. First John, God says, I'm for you. It's every page. It's from end to end. Of course, are there consequences for not receiving Jesus? Of course there are. But maybe more people would receive him if the church put the gospel on blast. There's no words that truly captures the goodness of the gospel. And when people get a whiff of it, it's inevitable that I think they will sing and praise and shout about how good God is. How could you not? And this is why we must be a church with a vision, with a mission that is for everyone. If we remain in awe and wonder of God, what He's done for us, we'll always be itching to share what He's done for, with us, done for us with others and be determined to not let anything get in the way. See, for everyone means that we are serious about how we present the gospel as we've clearly talked about it so far. But also, a church that is for everyone understands it's not just about presentation, but it's about participation. And these are two of the pillars of our vision. We talked presentation last week, but participation about being a community, being a congregation of God's people that is actively embracing and actively including and welcoming everyone, that is a, as important of a pillar, as important of a platform at being a church for everyone. As important as communicating the gospel with everything is facilitating everyone's steps at participating within the church, belonging to the church, feeling at home within the church. Being a church that is for everyone settles with nothing less than facilitating everybody's steps into the family of God so that they can with ease participate, not just visit, not just attend, but function as members, as part of God's family. Let me say this. 
This is why presentation is more than just substance. It's the whole system behind what we say and how we do it. That's why the environments matter. That's why the settings matter. Everything should be complementary to the gospel, not detracting from it. And of course, there are limitations that will arise, but that's why we believe that God will provide us the ability. We walk by faith knowing that He's going to give us what we need to renovate, update, and be a place that says for with everything that we do because we strive for excellence in how we present the gospel. We strive for excellence. God deserves the best, so people deserve the best. We believe the system behind what we put out is so important. That's why we need to engage. We need engaging communicators, engaging worship leaders. I want you to believe that I believe what I believe. I want you to believe that I am passionate about what I say, not just well-studied or well-informed. Everything should send an irresistible message complimenting our irresistible Savior. We want to be a church that loves coming together and full of people who are who are eager to come together and stay and engage in our community. We want to be a church in this new year that gathers not out of obligation, but in anticipation, with eagerness, not emptiness. Being a church that is for everyone participating, that actively seeks to include and engage and embrace, making Sundays a destination, not just something that you say, well, I should go or I might go, something that you can't miss. It goes beyond just what we do on Sundays even because as we're about to talk about, we are not just risen when we assemble, we are also risen when we dismiss. Especially when we dismiss. At home, at work, at play, we carry this risen identity with us. That's what my vision for us as a church is, that we would be more than just attendees. We would be participants in who we are as a church. So I'm going to give us two rally cries to carry with us in this new year. Because I want this, I want our church membership, I want being a part of our church to sink into the identity of who we are. So that we might can say to the world that I am risen church. We are risen church. Our own active participation within our church communicates and welcomes others to find their place. It doesn't hurt that our name, our brand carries a deeper spiritual message. That risen speaks of being made brand new in Christ. Raised up forever, able to rely on resurrection strength to always sustain us. You say, hey, people say, well, where do you go to church? I go to risen church, and let me tell you about my risen Savior and my risen spirit and the resurrection that God has done in my heart and continues to do in my life. It's just an opportunity, right? To say, I'm not just a member at Risen, I am a participant in what Risen is all about. When we launched about four years ago, this was what God pressed on my heart and on our heart. If we've been raised, let's live upon this potential. Our message to our community. And this isn't arrogant. This, this speaks of our dependence. Christ has risen, so have we. Not because we're good, but because He's good, right? Christ has risen, so have we, and so can you. No matter what has buried you or overwhelmed you or put you down, the resurrection power of Christ can raise you up. And we're living proof of it. A big part, the essential part of communicating this message is to offer people a place alongside of us. 
A church that is for everyone makes room for everyone. We seek and we find and we find joy because of it. We make room for others because God has made room for us. We found our place because God made a place and He made a place for everybody else too. So we pray for a vision that widens our scope beyond just I, me, and my, but prioritizing the congregation, including and embracing everybody. And let me be clear. This isn't just about reaching more and having more in numbers and metrics. Of course, more means great. More is great. More here means less out there, right? But I don't want to seem, at the, seem that this is at the expense of every one of you. Because where two or three gather in the name of Jesus, there is the Spirit and power of God. So I don't want us coming in saying, well, hey, nobody's here this week that wasn't here last week. That's a bummer. No, we're coming together to celebrate Jesus. That's an awesome thing. Our four attitude isn't just outward, but it's also inward as we foster a community that we call home. Creating that sense of community is at the utmost of our priorities. You know, that's why I grew to love the church. Because it always felt like a place I could belong. You know, even churches that miss the mark, that go astray from the mission, if the gospel is still being preached and proclaimed, that alone is enough to permeate throughout the church and put its hooks in people. And I'm one of those people that it got its hooks in. That's my story. I grew up in a small church not far from here. But what I learned there and what God did to my heart there is unrivaled by any other place or any experience in my life. And of course, a lot is just emotions and sentiment, but because of what the church did for me, I can honestly say the church saved my life. Because I know what's in me. Sin and evil and death. I don't know about you. Y'all are probably better than me, but I know what's in me. But the church reminded me early, and this is before my theology was ever developed, before I ever understood grace and how salvation worked and what all of it was about, before I could ever quote the Scripture, I had this childlike understanding of what it meant to be a Christian, and the church put this so front and center of my mind. Jesus is greater than my sin, and He deserves my obedience more than my sin. That's how I understood it. That Jesus is greater than my sin. My sin wants me to do bad, but Jesus is here for me. He is for my good. He wants the best for me, and I've got a choice to obey Him or obey sin, and why would I not obey Him? And the church made it seem so possible for me. God used the church to show me, more importantly, to save me and give me the Spirit and ground me in His Word. And as I grew up and saw people do stuff that I had it in me to want to do as well, and sometimes I thought, well, maybe I could get by with that and nobody would know. I, could really, I couldn't really articulate because, believe me, it's not because I'm good or I'm special, but something in me said no, that you've got something better to live for. And it was my countless trips back to church that reminded me, this is where you belong, this is who you are, and you can't break fellowship with that. The only way I can explain what kept me out of trouble and what keeps me out of trouble is the church saved my life and constantly saves my life. And when I don't fit in anywhere else, I fit in the church. See, when you understand that the church was what I look forward to every week after week, it's no surprise that I ended up on one of these platforms. But I want everybody to know the joy and the peace that comes along with belonging to God. Belonging to God, having a tangible place to call home where we feel free to worship, excited to give, eager to learn, and called to serve. Here's the thing. What my church did for kids, as few as we were, will last a lifetime on me. There was a core group of people that were passionate about making sure the kids loved 
their time at church. And God just was doing a work in my heart that made me eager to learn more about the Bible. And as I grew up, it was just all that I wanted to do was learn and read and attend. And I was fascinated by everything that I could learn, and I am still fascinated by everything that I learned, and that's because it was instilled in me. As a pastor, I see that we as a church have been given such a sacred task to show people that maybe haven't been shown before, to engage people that have never been invested in, not just kids, but their parents, and not just families, but single people, and couples, and divorced people, and widowed people, broken people. From any avenue of life, it's my passion that everybody could have the church experience that I've had that has saved my life over and over again and that has connected me with God in a way that could have not been done otherwise. See, community is contagious. And the beauty of community can be attractive because it speaks to the desire that every heart has and wants to belong to something. That's why what I do is just a piece of the puzzle. Even more so, that's why my job isn't just about delivering awesome messages. It's about providing helpful content, real-life applications, right? It's not about getting people to say, wow, but getting people to say, wow, that's how I can live differently. That's how I can apply this, and that's how the Word of God can change my life. I don't want to impress. I want to help, right? My message to you all isn't follow me, it's follow God. It isn't join me, it's join Him. Become risen. If you're on the edge of investing yourself more emotionally, more prayerfully, more socially, if church is always, and you assume it will always be a passive attendance thing, I encourage you, not because I want you to volunteer or because I want your money, this is because God wants to see you realize your true place in His kingdom. Beyond just being a believer, but, being, but, but through belonging. Because being a Christian by profession is not, as, is, is not near as awesome as being the church by participation. Your voice matters. Your embrace matters. Your kindness and your smile matters. Your investment matters. If we're going to reach people and we're going to grow, we must know and love our place in the church. And, and for Risen to be the church it was always meant to be, God wants us to be. We must all find our place. Yes, the church must embrace us, but we must also embrace the church. The enemy loves to dissuade us and blame the church, right? And break, break, put a wall between us and the church when we've held back or resi resisted diving in because the enemy knows the text that we read to begin with. He knows that you belong in the church and that your role in the church is more important than anybody could ever put into words but the apostle paul did a pretty good job he said in verse 12 for as the body is one and has many parts all the parts of that one body being many are one body he is saying that we can't separate the parts from the whole now i know this is going to sound kind of weird but we are body parts, right? We are body parts, and you know what a body part is best utilized doing? What it was made to do, right? To serve the whole. We are most fulfilled when we function for each other. Listen, I don't know a part of the body y'all would appropriate me as, but since I talk a lot, let me say I'm the mouth, right, for this scenario. I've already touched on this, but if I'm the mouth... 
and what I say has zero benefit to the rest of the body, or it actually causes harm or works against the body, I'm not fulfilling my purpose. I'm not just here to talk, right? Just like none of us are here to do anything that is isolated to ourselves. It is about edifying the whole, right? So no matter what part of the body we are, the goal is to make the whole better and stronger. And this is why, as good as technology is, and I hope people watch and listen and download, and you can watch any church at any given time, on any channel, on any device, but this is why what you are doing is the most important thing you do all week. And I encourage you, don't ever let the enemy say otherwise. Don't let anybody discourage you or dismiss the importance and benefit of coming together as a church and singing and locking arms with brothers and sisters and declaring as a body that we are risen. You can worship anytime you want to, anywhere you want to. That's great. In your car, in your home. But you cannot function as a part of the body separate from the body. See, you can't be for others when you're not with others, right? And we can't be for you when you're not with us, right? And that goes to anybody that's on the edge out there that may think, drive by and think, you know, I don't know about that. We need each other more than we might realize because we are a body. We are risen. Verse number 13 gives us a really encouraging message. For by one body we are all baptized into one church, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. We've all been made to drink out of the same spirit. This would have been very controversial to the original audience, but Paul is saying that Jesus is the great equalizer and unifier. That he bridges the gap between any division that exists. Now, in the original, in, in the original audience, when Jews heard that they were made one with Gentiles, they would say, whoa, 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 no thanks. When slaves heard they were made one with masters, they would say, whoa, 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 those people think they're better than me. When masters heard they were made one with slaves, they would say, whoa, 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 I own them, I don't worship with them. When Gentiles said, hey, you're made one with the Jews, they would say, whoa, whoa, we don't like them, people. We don't associate with those kinds. See, <laughs> we're never going to be one body with those nobodies, they thought. See, I don't know who you don't like, and maybe you love everybody, but I've got a hunch. <laughs> There are some types out there that we don't like. And maybe you don't like someone because of their politics. And maybe you don't like somebody because of their personality. Or maybe you don't like somebody because of their past or because of their present. And you've got a verse. You've got a reason why you don't like them. And they've got a reason why they don't like you. <laughs> Just kidding. But we all have those that we ridicule, we think, even act like we're above. We roll our eyes when they're not looking. Could this slim, this slime and grime that is in all of us cause some of the issues in our for, not against policy? Absolutely. 13 emphasizes as making a difference. Get any of us into Jesus and the differences will fade away. See, if we look at someone and say, well, look, they're not my kind of person. They're different than me. They're wrong, right? They're wrong and I'm right and I can't associate with him. That drives a wedge in the for not against vision. And whether it's a prejudice that we need to let go of or a sin that they need to let go of, hope is found in Jesus. And whether it's them or us, if we get into Jesus, we will find all that we need and we will be unified and equalized. So we best value and appreciate and embrace and welcome everyone. And if you're 
here and you feel like you've got some stuff going on that disqualifies you, let me just tell you what the gospel has already said and has already been made clear to you. You're not disqualified. You're accepted. You belong. You're a part of the body and the body needs you. Everyone is a part and has a part. The whole suffers without the part. Verse number 14 through 20, Paul gives us this, this neat little exchange about parts of the body saying to other parts of the body that they're no longer going to work together. Listen, what if when our eyes saw something they wanted, our hands said to our eyes, good luck with that. I mean, we just, you know, our brain and our, our, our you know, nervous system works in such a way that when my eyes see something I want, I walk over there and I get it and I use my hands to touch it, right? At a buffet, right, in a little bit, a couple minutes, right? You go to a place to eat. You see what you want. You go over there and you get it and you eat it, right? But what if your eyes said, hey, I want that, and your hand said, ha, ha, hope you have fun. And, I mean, and what if your head said, hey, I'm going to go do this, and your feet said, I hope you leave early because I'm not helping you get there. Right, and that's silly, isn't it? But isn't it true that every part of our body works together, and if you have a part of the body that isn't working with the whole, it causes some difficulties, Right? You hear what God is saying. He doesn't just tolerate diversity. He celebrates it. Your disabilities aren't a stumbling block, but they're an opportunity and a launching point to come together and work with the whole. Because don't let anybody tell you that you don't have a place. Because the Scripture says, if we read on in verse number 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which think to be less honorable, on these we show greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body having great, given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That is God's message to the one person that feels like they don't belong to say you definitely belong. Jesus came especially for you. 25, that there should be no division in the body, but that members should have the same care for one another. That verse has driven and defined my ministry for a long time. If we would just care for each other, how different the church might be, how different the world might be. Here's the thing about caring. If I ask you how much do you care, it's hard to really put into words, right? I mean, care is hard to quantify, but care is easy to recognize. As in, you know when someone cares for you or when someone doesn't care for you. You feel it, don't you? See, we started this talk excited about what God has done for us and how much God cares for us. And how do we know God cares? Because He showed us, right? So Christians, how can we convince the world that risen cares? Show them, right? How can we convince somebody that comes in as a stranger that we care? Show them. Paul concludes this passage in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. God has appointed these in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various times of, kinds of speech or tongues. And he says, are all apostles or prophets or teachers? Do all work these miracles? And the answer is no. But verse 31, he says, I earnestly, he says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. 
Paul says, what made the New Testament church stand apart? The spectacle and the revelation. That's going to come to an end. And that's not what's going to set the, part, set the church apart forever. But there was a greater and more universal way that would. And Paul says, I'll show you that more excellent way. And chapter 13 is that more excellent way. And that's why he says in verse number 8 of 13, love is the more excellent way. Love never fails. But whether there be prophecies or tongues or knowledge, that stuff's going to fade away, right? That stuff's going to come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. The perfection is found in loving one another. That is what it means to be a mature Christian. As verse 13 says, the greatest of these, the most perfect of these, is love. Not how much you believe. Not how much you can do. Not how much you can show, but how much you can love and choose to love one another. Jesus himself anchored the entire movement in this one thing. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, by this one thing, all will see and all will feel and all will know that you are mine. And that they can be mine too. That's the purpose. So would you say yes to caring and yes to loving and say yes to the body and do your part because you're an indispensable part of this vision? Love communicates itself through words and actions, efforts and initiatives of all sorts. In 2020, we're asking everyone to pray and to proclaim that I am risen church. I know my part matters. So what does love require of me? What does love require of me so that I make sure that the body functions as it needs to, that everybody, member or visitor, in or out, stranger or friend, knows and feels and experiences the loving kindness of the church community. That's how you fill rows. That's how you fill buildings. But better than that, that's how you save people. You know what is just around the corner from that kind of prayer? Meaning. Making life a means to an end that goes beyond me that never ends. Every one of us wants to mean, wants to matter, wants a purpose. And when we make our lives a means to an end that goes beyond me, that never has an end, that's when we find meaning. And Christian, I say to you, whether it's here or somewhere else, the church is where you find your utmost fulfillment and your utmost meaning. I, as the pastor of Risen Church, obviously I love you all and I, I speak to you all in terms that I think I should speak on, but my biggest, the thing I champion the most and the thing I will spend the rest of my ministry celebrating the most and championing the most is that the church is the most important and the biggest asset the world has ever been given. Amen. I love the church. I love our church and I love you all because you're, you are the church. 
We are the body and we all belong. So let's make the new year in front of us matter for risen for the world. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for giving me this opportunity to cast this vision for who we are as a church, who you've made us to be as a church. Lord, this church was built by other hands, by different people in different times. But Lord, you are the one who sanctioned and sanctified and set apart this building, this property, long before it was ever a church. You're the one that decided, to be, decided it would be this size and this shape with this many rows and this many seats. Lord, all of this is a part of your sovereign plan. It's all a part of your sovereign plan that says, that is my church and they are my people and the whole needs the parts to all step up and do their part. It begins with worship. It begins with laying our lives down at your feet and saying, God, we're here for you because you are the one that makes, makes all this possible. Lord, as we pray this prayer, I am risen. We all are part of this church. We are risen. We know our part. So what does love require of us? God, may you lay that passion on our hearts. Lord, if somebody is here today that's not a member, maybe they're not a Christian, and they are on the outside looking in, and they're thinking, wow, I want to be a part of this. This is what I've been dreaming of. This is what I've been waiting for. God, to stir their heart and remind them that there is a place for them. Remind us all that we all matter, that no one has been disqualified, that in Christ you are for us, and you've given us this place. God, you're so good. You're so good to us. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.